Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women and a handful of men who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Hello. Hello. Coming up, our WAG best and worst dress list, inherently anti-feminist, plus the brands that are trying to sell products on the back of mental illness and why the world is obsessed with actress Jamila Jamil. But first, Zara, tell me, how was your week? My week was pretty good. It was pretty busy and I've been trying to get through Leanne Moriarty's new book, Nine Perfect Strangers. You don't have it. You're waiting for me to finish it. I'm dying for you to finish it. I haven't felt like a very good reader this week and I don't know, I was saying to you, I can't tell if it's the book or if it's my reading habits. I have Mm. no idea. I know we were saying when I read all day at work and I'm reading the news all day, it's hard to go home and read. But usually I don't have a problem with it. But this book, I'm a third of the way in. It hasn't grabbed me like they usually do. Mm. And I felt very down on myself that I can't fly through it like I usually can. I love Leanne Moriarty. I've heard a lot of people say the first half is slow, the second half is gripping. I would love to know, I mean, if any of you guys have read the book are reading the book go into the Facebook group we can have a virtual book club or something (laughs) I don't know but yeah that's what I've been struggling with this week trying to plow through that book first world problem. I know how about you my week has been good I really did enjoy one of the posts in our Facebook group shameless celebrity gossip if you're not already in there shameless plug for it twice in a minute and a half (laughs) it's Mike time coats someone did put in a post saying that the entire time 30 episodes that we've been doing this podcast they have heard my voice and pictured you speaking Mm -hmm. and vice versa so clearly my voice matches your face and your voice matches my face this this made me laugh a lot because I did a couple (laughs) of things firstly I thought actually it was my brother (laughs) texted me saying but (laughs) I don't want I don't want to I don't want to criticize anyone that mucked this up because I do understand the struggle of two female hosts or two male hosts and trying to separate their voices at the start of every episode we say but first x how was your week and I did find myself going back through our Instagram looking at photos trying to match my voice with your face and your voice with my face well it's really funny the the girls that I work with I work in an office two days a week at the moment and even they said they're like we know your voice but when the episode goes on and on and you hear people swap back and forth it confuses their head and they go who's speaking right now I find our voices so distinct and different and and so matched to our personalities probably well my entire family always tells me that your voice is soothing and like a butter menthol and I just chime in with my bogan intonation (laughs) my family would say that I screech and it is the least soothing voice in the world so it just shows how supportive families are hey before we get to our first segment which is about the wags obviously my favorite topic in the entire universe let's talk about the biggest news story that we couldn't i don't move think past we can because i think for as much as the week that we are sort of reading pop culture and celebrity news i have been transfixed by what's going on in the u.s which is for those who might have missed it the donald trump is nominating or has nominated his candidate for the supreme court which is a man named brett kavanaugh yes brett kavanaugh has was accused of attempted rape when he was 19. The woman has come forward and he has since been accused of four other sexual harassment misconduct things. Mm. How did you feel about this story? Well, number one, I want to get out of the way is that I was so fascinated by the the photos that were shared on social media of America as a country being transfixed, as you said, by this story that it stopped people on planes, on buses, in pubs, where everyone was glued to both testimonies and exactly what these people said in their stories. And I think in my mind, what's really stuck with me is what's more likely, that a woman 
came up with a lie 30 years ago mm. about a man, told people about it in the decades since, told psychologists about it, told medical professionals about it because it did really affect her mental health and that she's now sharing her story. Or the alternative is true, which is what the other camp is saying, that this woman created a lie, planted it 30 years ago, has really succinctly ever since continued and perpetuated this lie until now just to bring a man down who she met when she was a teenager. I have very, I think I'm very rarely moved by news because we live and breathe in the news cycle and we're reading everything every day. But I felt so emotional this week. I felt so moved by the story. I felt so moved by the photos coming out of her testimony in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee and how... uh, the people behind her were looking at her, how the the women behind Brett Kavanaugh when he was testifying were looking at him. She was searing and raw. And I don't know in this sort of era how we can look at a woman and listen to her testimony like that and wonder how anyone could make this shit up. And it's so devastating to me that, that when we talk about Me Too in such a Hollywood focus, like we often do on this podcast, Um, whether those conversations sort of have any meaning when push comes to shove in the highest office of the land, whether all our conversations and all our understanding and all our empathy is going to come to fruition there. I really, we, at the moment we're recording, it remains to be seen. Yeah. And it's really ironic to me that her detractors, Dr. Ford's detractors are coming out and saying, well, if this is true, why didn't she come forward sooner? It's like, Uh, well, look at how she's been dealt with now. Look at, oh, she's getting death threats. She can't live with her kids. Any woman that comes forward about sexual assault is immediately cast as a liar, as an untrustworthy woman, as uh, someone who's vindictive and manipulative and wants to bring a man down. And if, what, we expected her to do that when she was 15? She was 15 when this supposedly happened. It is really sad. And I know we, it's strange that we want to talk about such a serious news story in a pop culture podcast but for me it just proves how how news and news often transcends pop culture in that we it's so big a story and it is so important a story that any kind of celebrity or any kind of big pop culture movement can't help but get on board the story and, and make sure their voice is known. It's all over Instagram. It's all over Twitter. It's saturating social media in the the happy sort of lighter places that we go because the stakes are so high that everybody feels like they need to weigh in. Alyssa Milano was sitting in the in the in the background of this Senate Judiciary uh, Committee hearings, which I thought was really interesting. And one thing that I really do love about American pop culture and the American celebrity news cycle is that celebrities do speak up about these things. And yes. I think that's something that really happens in Australia yet where celebrities feel like they can come out and have a voice and have an opinion and have a stance on really important issues and in America they do and I think that's because America is so polarized that nobody sits in the middle in America not anymore no not not at the moment and so as you said it was all over Twitter it was all over Instagram some of the memes and the images that were being shared were super powerful and moving for any woman who has ever been a victim of sexual assault or harassment and it'll be very fascinating to see how this all plays out just to shift gears a little bit for a second here let's talk about wags and the red carpet obviously this was the week of red carpets we had both the dally m which is the nrl award which i'll pretend that i know something about when i absolutely do not and then we obviously had the afl's brownlow awards i just want to laugh because it's so it's so funny the brownlow was on monday for mm. anyone outside victoria there's this real uh, habit of people calling them the brownlows which we both have huge issue with it is not it's just the brownlow the brownlow which is a, quite a big deal around here and then days later come the dalian medals which is just sort of like a trickle in a pond yeah. compared to the, it's not as stressy big- is it 
No, I don't think there's the kind of glamour. And I, I think it's the same around the sports. There's not the same kind of glamour around the sports and the wags as there are, which is kind of can be probably quite intimidating for the women who are walking the Dalian because they don't sometimes have the same careers that the AFL women are afforded because of their platform. Yeah. And I guess the uh, Brownlow is so big and the fashion is so big at the Brownlow, probably based off Beck Judd. Yeah, it's true. She really sparked it all. I'm pretty sure that before that red dress, it was an event like the Deli M's and that really shot it into the stratosphere as to what the expectations were on those women. What we did want to discuss, though, is that every time this event rolls around and every time these images and uh, interviews trickle into social media and onto our television screens, there is a lot of debate about whether or not there's a place for best and worst dress lists. What do you think? Uh, what do I think? Uh, I think we have a little differing opinions on this. I think that there is a place to play the dress and not the man in most scenarios. And when I say that, I mean there is a place to critique the fashion and not the person wearing it. But my concern with AFL and uh, NRL wags, and I know we're calling them wags and people hate that term, but truly I don't know what else to call them right now (laughs) for the sake of efficiency. Um, And I think my concern comes from often our inability to separate the dress from the man or the woman and how that how unfair that is for the average woman walking the red carpet to be subject to very public criticism. Now, we're not just talking about uh, a best and worst dressed list on the Herald Sun or the Age the next morning. We're talking about Instagram criticism coming, Facebook criticism coming. It's so pervasive these days that I think it's so fair for us to sit back and say, let's just comment on the dresses we loved and leave the rest alone. Yeah, of course. But I don't know. This is a little bit controversial. <laughs> I like best and worst dress lists, and so do I. I would like record. to add another. <laughs> I would like to add another dimension to this that I don't think best and worst dress lists in 2018 are harsh at all. I've read every single one on the internet. Most of them don't even explicitly say what are the worst dressed. Everything is described as uh, the most polarizing look of the night, yeah. or uh, some people loved this, some people weren't quite so sure. So. For anyone who watched the Brownlow red carpet, the woman who had the very, very long train basically made of goose feathers or whatever it was, she was listed in a lot of these articles as being worst dressed. She wasn't actually stated as being the worst dressed person on the night. She was stated as being, uh, as people having differing opinions as to what she was wearing. So when people come out and go, oh, it's so unfair, uh, we shouldn't be doing this to women. Women aren't snowflakes. That woman would not have put on that really extreme dress that day and thought mainstream publications like the Herald Sun matter to me what they think of this. People put on dresses like that. I don't know if I agree. I don't know if I agree. These aren't women who are professional fashionistas. These aren't women who work. Fashionistas. Is that a bad word to use? <laughs> I feel like we're um, in the 1990s again, but go for it. At least we're not calling them frocks. Frocks. These are women who work professionally in fashion. They're putting on what makes them feel good. And actually, some of them, I think, think that the rest of the world would think that would be really beautiful too. Yeah, of course. Even a polarizing not... dress. So they might be putting it on thinking, I really do hope that this makes a paper for being a good dress. I think it's too narrow-minded for us to assume that they're so confident that they're going to put on a dress and say, I don't care what the rest of the world thinks. I'm just going to wear it. No, of course. And I'm not ever for publications coming out and slamming what women wear 
All I'm saying is that the lists are very tame these days. Very, very tame. They're not really offensive to anyone. They don't critique any woman really harshly at all like they used to probably 10 years ago. And women aren't snowflakes. That's my overall point. That I think also if you're choosing to walk the red carpet, we need to keep in mind you don't have to walk the Brownlow red carpet. Plenty. I'm talking like probably half of the people who go to the Brownlow don't walk the red carpet. A lot of the coaches' uh, wives and a lot of the partners who are in the AFL who aren't the wags actually skip the red yeah, carpet but altogether. In, you, but you, I think you have to consider that in order to go to the Brownlow, in order to be dressed for the Brownlow, you're going to be dressed by a designer who wants their tr- their dress on the red carpet, who wants to be seen publicly, and it's going to be very hard to get someone to dress you if you're not going to walk the red carpet. So it's sort of a very hard ball to play, and I don't think you can say you cannot choose to walk it. At the minute somebody decides to dress you, you probably have to walk that red carpet. Yeah, of course, and I'm not going to say that anyone who ends up on a worst dress list, which doesn't really exist anymore, it's more just it's listed best and worst dress list, and then just a list of dresses yeah. not categorized and anyway. I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, same here. I just don't think that I have a whole lot of sympathy because there are so many upsides to being a wag and a lot of these women and a lot of the women on the best and worst dress list have made careers out of being wags and that's fine if you want to be an opportunist and if you want to capitalize off the position that you have been uh, not gifted but you've walked into then that's fine but one of the downsides is is that you will be in the public eye and part of the public eye is that people will look at what you're wearing I just I think we're a bit hyperbolic when we talk about best and worst dress lists but I think we're on the same page because I'm up for an analysis of the fashion on the red carpet given it is not particularly harsh and it sounds like you're the same when you say that a lot of these women are accepting the benefits of being a wag I think that's a very finite a group of people like they're the anomalies the ones that are the well-known the influencers but they're also the ones making these lists there's no, not many faces on that too. list who aren't recognizable and I'm not going to disagree with you in your in the entirety of your point because I think it's important to look at when a lot of these women are getting dressed and the minute that their dresses are on and their makeup are done and their hair are done and they're getting ready at crown there's this new trend now of hiring professional photographers for the pre-red carpet shots, which I find really interesting. And it's sort of becoming this moment that for some of them can make a career. Now, like, I want to be clear, this is the anomaly. But for some of them, this is their moment to stand out, make a real impact on the public consciousness and to potentially find work out of that. And I have no issue with that at all. I think you've got a team of people working not just for the red carpet look, but to, like I said, make a make an impact. And that plays into it too, because I think if you're willing to do that, then yes, you kind of accept the good with the bad. Exactly. And I think when you go through these lists, there's no average dress. Like say you went down to the local Chadston or massive shopping center and you bought a $200 dress. Those don't make the cut. The ones making the cut are the ones who go all out and are going for a look that you'll remember and you're either remembering it for a good reason or a bad reason and I did not go through a single one of those galleries and go oh well why is she in this she's just wearing like a typical dress that means nothing that's completely forgettable they only include the ones where the stakes are high the Beck Judds the Britt Davises of the world they're only including the ones that we actually recognize and the ones who are dating the big players and the ones who have made a concerted effort to be remembered so I actually really like best and worst dress lists I think they were all pretty good this year and my favorite dress Hmm, who will I give it to? I really love Nadia Bartel. I think that was brilliant maternity fashion. She just looked gorgeous. She looked beautiful. Mine is going to go to Britt Davis. I very much liked that dress. Yeah, she was stunning.
And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we're going to bring to you five stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle that you may have missed. Mitch, what have you got this week? All right, I'm ready. My first story for the Kardashian fans. We never want to forget about you guys. We can now see the moment the Kardashians discovered Tristan Thompson was cheating on Chloe. That is from Mamma Mia. This is really interesting. I haven't watched an episode of the Kardashians, but I think I might watch now for this. They did sort of a, a promo for the series, right? Yeah, it's like a trailer for the second half. So the season's already begun. Oh, they do a trailer for the second half. Well, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I guess it's that because the first half has been good. I really watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I'm not going to hide that. The second half seems to be where all the drama happens. So where most of the babies are born, where Tristan's caught cheating. Uh, there's just a whole lot of things that happen in the second half that are quite interesting and clickbaity, I guess. So oh, this trailer was scintillating because you found out the moment that Kim Kardashian learned that there was another video of Tristan Thompson cheating on her sister. And I think she'll be really fascinating to watch because she doesn't actually hold back very much on that show at all. And we like we did a podcast about uh, Tristan Thompson and Chloe. It was obviously a huge moment in pop culture and in celebrity news. So to actually see how it played out within their family will be really interesting. It is such a gift. I know that sounds so ridiculous, but it is such a gift for people that live their lives reading headlines and wanting to understand the machinations of what's going on behind the scenes for a family to give this. I know that's what they make their money off, but still. Thanks, Kim. I know. Thanks, Chloe. All right, my second story. <laughs> this one's so good. Australia turns on the honey badger. Outraged fans brand Nick Cummins fake and the worst bachelor ever as he ignores Cassandra Wood's tearful exit and instead shares a sponsored post for tradie underwear. Guess where that is from? That would be from the Daily Mail. It's from the Daily Mail. The honey badger is the worst bachelor we have ever chosen and we have ever seen on Australian television. I cannot believe how wrong Channel 10 got this and how wrong they're going to get it with Ali as well. As the Bachelorette. Do you think they got it wrong? Their ratings are still good. I know this is kind of going to be, I've said this all along, I think it's going to be one of those short-term gain, long-term pain things because you've lost, I mean, if you've lost me as a watcher, <laughs> you're really struggling. You know things I are dire when you and your girlfriends turn away and that's exactly what's happened. Exactly. Uh, this was pretty funny. He He didn't seem to be able to, he doesn't seem to be able to handle very deep conversations with any sort of emotional intelligence. So when Cass was leaving, he didn't give her much at all did he no he was like let's be friends it's just the end of the road for us <laughs> just say that you were never interested truly and also i don't buy i think that he should have let her go in episode one 100%. and i do not buy i put that in our group and some people replied saying oh but this is uh producers influencing the decisions i don't agree I think some of the bachelors have come out since they were on this show and said, I put my foot down. The producers wanted me to do X, Y, and Z, and I put my foot down. And at the end of the day, it was my decision. I signed the contract. They can influence you. I absolutely yes. believe the producers can try and influence your decision. And maybe they tried to persuade Nick to keep Cass around. The gentlemanly and the lovely thing to do would be to cut her off as soon as she walked into that house and let her go in the first week or two. Because he strung her along and was a total dickhead towards her and didn't have any regard for her feelings. He knew that she was in love with him. And he knew that he was never going to be interested. I think it's actually a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think that they would have said that they've got her on this show and probably influenced him in such a way by saying she's made all this effort to come here. She's very interested. Give her another shot. But I also think I don't trust him. And I think that like we have seen, he lacks 
certain core social skills and I think he likes certain core um uh, I think he likes a certain sense of emotional intelligence I've said that and you I got around that quite well Good work. I'm trying to be as diplomatic as I can I wonder if the honey badger listens to shameless absolutely not <laughs> but I think that maybe there was a sense of comfort having someone around that he knows that he could have a conversation with that wasn't going to be hard to take on a date even though it took him so long I wonder Still if selfish. that was part of it too I'm not saying it's not I think that's de- <laughs> terrible I think he is just been awful sorry as the i've believed in him for the beginning and Let's i thought it was really it interesting finale show because we can just rip oh, we will absolutely go ham well we know he's in papua new guinea we know he's not with the uh winner sorry that was a spoiler but sh- surely everyone knows that by mm, now we're so sorry to the spoilers give me your next story <laughs> busy phillips reveals her husband didn't try to be a dad said baby number two was all on you that is from people now before you <laughs> jump in you made me put this in the quick and dirty i don't know what this is about you made me put it in explain why it has to be in there so just for context sake michelle and i have sort of like a doc full of notes for the podcast to make sure that like each of us uh, have stuff in there that we want to talk about and i put this in and i had to write in capital trust me on this don't delete so (laughs) i came very close to deleting even with that note anyway busy phillips is obviously i'm not going to sell this out this is going to be such a flop busy phillips is obviously an actress who's become an influencer you know who she is yeah she's one of those people that i see everywhere without really knowing why exactly and she's built this social media following to the point where she's she's sort of um, grown beyond her Hollywood profile to become an influencer. She's getting, getting given her own talk show, like a late night talk show. Cool. Anyway, she gave an interview with people talking about her husband and I thought it was a very strange interview. She did this big paragraph about how her husband was a really terrible dad at the start, that he didn't want another kid, that when the baby was born, he said, fine, if you want another baby, but this is all on you, you have to look after the baby. And then she went on to say, look, everything's fine now. Um, every marriage is hard, but we're working through it. That's weird. It was a strange interview. It was probably, the baby's probably a couple of years old now. So that conversation is a couple of years old. And even still, she was willing to share that publicly and sort of didn't wrap it in a really happy bow. So he basically said to her, you're the sole parent of this child. So they had one kid. She wanted another. He wasn't a very good dad in the first few years to the first kid. Didn't know what he was doing. She said he was quite selfish. She said to him, I want another kid. He said, fine, but it's all on you. He sounds like a dreamboat. And they're still together. And she gave that interview. Wow. Okay. Well, look, you did an okay job of selling it. I'm still not sure if it deserves to be in the quick and dirty, but too late now to change that, isn't it? Thanks, Zara. That's great. Give me your next one. (laughs) Number four, Duchess Megan and Harry prove they're just like the rest of us by catching a public train. That is from now to love. Why is this in there? I hate that we continually try to make Megan and Harry We're part sound of the like, problem. We're putting this – there's a story I'm about I'm calling Megan. it out. I'm <laughs> calling it out. Megan and Harry in every quick and dirty. I'm, I'm calling it out. They're not like us. They're absolutely not like us. If I was given an allowance every month or two months to go buy designer clothes and wear that for a professional job just to go shake people's hands and look pretty and get facials and look gorgeous in the palace – then no, that's not my life. They are not like us. I'm so sick of stupid Megan and Harry stories everywhere. There was a story Didn't today. Did you write quite a few of them a couple of months ago? Didn't you write seven in a week? <laughs> yes, maybe I did. But there was a story, not this bad though. There was a story in the BBC this week, which I maybe should have included this as well. Megan shuts car door. Did she break yeah. protocol? I and it was about 200 words long, talking I, about whether or not it's breaking protocol for a princess to shut her own car door. I don't mind that as much as I can't stand the hyperbolic um, headlines. They're that just come like with us. Stories. They're just like us. We're crying. Um, <laughs> 
just, you know. Um, Rub the tissues is uh, my favourite Me- one. Megan did this and we are so happy for her. And it's like, are we? Can you not make me part of that? Yeah, it's like Megan is every woman. Yeah. No, she's not. Anyway, it's not breaking protocol to uh, close your own car door. I'll let you know that. So it was a wasted article on absolutely nothing. And the image on the article was her like walking away from a car door. It was very dramatic. Okay, next. <laughs> Exclusive. It's true. Tammy Hembrow's ex-fiancé Reese Hawkins is dating US model London Goheen three months after announcing his split with the Instagram star. Why are those allowed to be two Daily Mail stories in this? No, I like it. I think the people care about Tammy Hembrow. She's kind of like Australia's Kim Kardashian. So is he definitely, definitely dating this girl? Yes, he is. His management confirmed it. So only a couple of months after breaking up with the mother of his children, he has moved on, which is totally fine. Tammy Hembrow was the one to break up with him. He is dating this London girl. She's very pretty, as you expect. She has very perky boobs, as you would expect. She's a model. A she's, a mo- <laughs> she's a what? She's a model. She's a 20-year-old model. Yes. She's very pretty. Look good on them. I... I'm Should shocked. I say what I'm thinking? <laughs> oh, yeah. Go for it. Oh, it's just very convenient. Why? What? What do you mean? How best to get over a breakup publicly than announce publicly that you're dating a US 20-year-old model. Yeah, and it couldn't have been... It couldn't have been just, for very long. That's all long. I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. But it just couldn't be for very long because they only broke up a couple of months ago and now he's dating this new girl. He could not have been dating her yeah, for longer exactly. than a month. So that's what I mean. Anyway, oh. I'm not going to go too far. That's all you've got? That's all I've got. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> This week, Bumble announced it would next year be launching a skincare line that helps alleviate mental health. In an interview with Marie Claire, founder Whitney Wolf heard that the company has spent several months working with psychotherapists and dermatologists to make serums that simultaneously solve skin and, according to the company, emotional issues. On Instagram, Wolf Heard went further, writing, Bumble Beauty is not about typical beauty. We will approach beauty from a mental health focus. Our products will help alleviate anxiety, depression, and stress. Mish, this is just one in a long line of brands targeting mental health with their products. How do you feel about it? Um, as someone who suffers with mental illness... I hope that my anxiety can be alleviated by a nice moisturizer or a serum. I think what they're possibly pointing to is that acne and good skin are kind of correlated with your mental health. So there was a study that came out in the British Journal of Dermatology that did link acne with increased risk of depression in the first five years after diagnosis. So perhaps what they're saying is that if you have clear skin, you'll be a happier person. I don't stand by that. I think that's a very tenuous link to put out there and try and sell. I'm guessing that's what they're meaning in that if you if we give you beauty products that will help your skin, you'll be a happier person overall, which is incredibly problematic in my opinion. And I think we shouldn't be trying to solve acne. We should be trying to solve why we put so much pressure on women to always have perfect skin in the first place. Yes. And I think we should be clear in that they've only given one interview about this to Marie Claire and we've heard us only posted about this on Instagram once. And normally you and I would not be the kind of people very interested in having a discussion about something until the full context is born. But there are a couple of reasons why we wanted to talk about this. Firstly, the skincare line is not going to drop till the end of next year. And secondly, 
they're selling it right now on a pretense of this skincare helping mental health and they're not giving us the context. So automatically what they're saying is that there is a potential for skincare and mental health to be linked and for one to help the other. And I think that is enough because if you're willing to sell it now based on those two things, then we're allowed to talk about it because that in itself I think is, like you said, a little problematic to start with. I think the timing is interesting for for context. I think Bumble is one of the most important brands of this year oh my god I agree I think in the past few years I think Bumble is incredible for a woman first woman positive alternative to what's a really sleazy industry Mm. and sleazy realm in online dating I think Bumble is a cultural phenomenon and that's why I think our ears pricked up so much when we heard about this because we love Bumble so hard yeah, I hate <laughs> that statement so much. I haven't said that in a while. I'm happy I brought that back. I think that they do a great job of really elevating women and promoting women. So for them to come out with this That's why makes I, me grimace a little yeah. bit because I don't want them to fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. And there is something to be said about a brand who um, can make feminism and being strong cool Mm. there is really something to be said about that um it's not lost on me that as we're recording this uh this morning they bought a a full page spread in the new york times in the wake of the brett kavanaugh story saying all yellow that said believe women oh i know and that is and they're also donating something like 25 grand to a charity on that theme i saw a great post on instagram i think from the writer cleo wade who said I love that this is a company and a woman who's not divorcing her beliefs from her business. And so that's really important too. But when we're getting back to this mental health focus, it is certainly not the first time a brand has tried to leverage off a wave of people being open about their mental health in order to sell a product. Yeah. And let's be honest. So 40% of Australian women report symptoms of anxiety and they uh, associate with the label anxiety and what I find difficult as a woman who does see a psychologist regularly for my own anxiety is what I feel like Bumble or another brand that uh, associates their product with anxiety what they might be preying on so for anyone who doesn't have uh, an anxiety disorder I want to try and explain it anxiety feels incredibly isolating and asphyxiating when you're suffering from it it honestly feels like you're drifting out to sea on a tiny boat without a paddle and you're terrified and you feel wholly and completely alone. And so when you find someone else who is experiencing that same fear, overwhelming fear, that person feels like an island to you when you are by yourself on this tiny little boat. So you instantly connect and you instantly find this overwhelming sense of understanding in another woman who's experienced the same fear that you feel. It's a beautiful relief. And it's a beautiful feeling to find that in another person. And so I feel like brands preying on that sense of connection is quite upsetting. And it feels like it trivializes what so many women find in each other. And it's taking advantage of women who are looking for that type of support. The other thing that I wanted to mention, because I I, I think that so many people would agree with you. And it's it's interesting to me that Whitney Wolf heard in the same interview with Marie Claire spoke about her anxiety. And it felt it was it felt quite genuine, absolutely, but it was also very interesting that her conversation about anxiety came straight after the announcement that they were launching this skincare brand. I never want to be the person who is telling someone who tries to do a good thing that they aren't doing it perfectly because I think that's where we fall down a lot of the time in our public conversations. But I do think it's important that brands and big businesses don't and can't make money off other people's struggles 
if they're not doing it in a perfect way. And I think if this is the kind of thing that's going to help their brand as well, because I think it is going to be good for the Bumble brand. The Bumble brand is being progressive and strong and helping women with not just sexism, but clearly mental health too, that that I wish that they were transparent about the fact that this just at the end of the day aids their bottom line, which is making money. Because if it wasn't going to help their bottom line, then why would they be doing it? I just want to make sure that if somebody is doing this and if they are going to use mental health to sell product or shift product, that it is the perfect way to help people. And I wonder if it is, is there another way that we can help women struggling with mental health? And I think the other thing that I wanted to talk about very quickly is that we spoke last week about how you don't need to say brand yourself as something in order to do it. Mm. So we were talking about Zoe Foster Blake not needing to brand herself as a feminist brand, but she just acts as a feminist and that's just as important. When it comes to Bumble, I don't know why they feel the need to brand themselves as a brand that helps mental health when actually by default, that's what they're doing anyway. They're Mm. aiding a lot of um, women with mental health issues by virtue of what their app does, which is giving women power in the dating game. They're giving them confidence in the dating game. And I don't think we can underestimate how important that is for mental health too. I totally agree. And I think that's potentially why it is so frustrating to potentially see this brand that is such a good ideal and such a good example of what brands should be to take this massive risk and Mm. really potentially alienate women who are actually struggling with mental health and who won't have their problems solved by having lovely skincare. I think it's so transparent for brands to use feminism as the crux of their appeal. We know that brands aren't charities Mm. and we know that brands operate in their ability to make money. So there are definite brands that come out who want to say we are feminists and we stand up for women and we are all about improving quality of life for women. But that's confusing and a little bit unconvincing when the brand carries itself as a lucrative business. We know that they're... But do you have an issue? I mean, if, if a business is either going to be a business that's not feminist or a business that is feminist, wouldn't you just prefer the business to be feminist because the business is going to make money either way? No, of course. But I think it's once you tie so closely your feminism with your ability to make money, that is incredibly problematic because what happens when you want to make money from a thing that potentially isn't very feminist or something that isn't uh, good for women? Lots of brands aren't good for women. And a lot of the way these companies make their money is working with brands that aren't good for women that then contradicts their core statement. I I agree with you hundred percent. I do agree. And I think, but that's Bumble's problem. And I think that's for them to sort out in the future, how they're going to grow as a business when they've, when they've branded themselves in such a way, which can be quite limiting, but I am, I don't want, to be confusing here. I am so stoked that Bumble is such a juggernaut that it has almost overtaken Tinder in terms of its cultural relevance, that it is having women all over my Instagram get involved with it. And Bumble Biz is great. It is so brilliant. I actually don't think I can understate how much I love the brand, but I think there's a broader conversation about what, which is what we're having about how mental health and feminism actually are being used by brands in order to sell and shift product, like we said. I think it's an interesting link, again, between beauty and mental health. And I think it's interesting that they're using skincare or they will attempt to use skincare as a means of talking about mental health because I I know this is a little controversial, but I don't actually really see the difference or understand the difference between makeup and skincare. At the end of the day, you're telling women that their face needs to be different. And so if we're still being sold something that's telling us we're not perfect enough and then we're telling us telling ourselves that that same product is going to help alleviate our mental health. It's quite confusing to me because isn't beauty 
the exact thing that helps women feel like they're not enough, which then leads to further mental health issues. Yeah, it's a confusing link to say that what's on the outside of your body, what's the literally outer layer of your body somehow influences the innermost part of yourself. Especially such a contentious part of the body, which we are always told is never good enough. Well, let's be honest, a link would be saying, oh, lose weight or join hypoxy and your mental health will be better because your waist is slimmer. So that would be another link. It's still relating your mental health to your overall appearance, which I think is definitely the wrong way to go. You improve your mental health and your relationship with how you look improves with that. Exactly. There was a great piece on Vox this week about Bumble and not just Bumble joining, uh, jumping on the beauty business train because beauty is booming at the moment, not just beauty, but skincare too. And they were talking about how so many brands are jumping on the beauty train. So 7-Eleven launched their uh, beauty brand. Do you remember that? A couple what? of Yeah, they're super cheap skincare. Uh, they're oh, skincare wow. with their beauty brand, sorry. Spotify did a collaboration with a, a makeup artist in order to do their own. And I think the other thing that I wouldn't mind in this conversation is is someone like Bumble being just being transparent about the juggernaut industry that is beauty, saying, well, we're a power force for women. Women love beauty. Why wouldn't we jump on this while we can rather than sort of collating mental health and skincare? You know what would have felt better to me if they had come out and this hasn't come out yet. So we don't know what their actual yeah. link is, but they've, they're the ones who have given us this information exactly. and who have kind of put it out there as a grenade. What I would have appreciated more as a lover of Bumble and a lover of feminism and someone with anxiety is just for them to come out and say, we're launching a beauty brand and we're exclusively using female scientists to, formula, to formulate our products. Yeah. That would have been awesome. We know that female scientists really struggle compared to male scientists. So for them to come out and simply say, we're using women to create what is often a male-dominated industry, even if it doesn't look like that, beauty is very male-dominated still at the very baseline of the products being formulated and the science behind it. That would have been amazing. Yeah, wouldn't it have been great? Yeah, and they have come out and said that they are using female scientists. That's all they need to do. I, I'm just so confused how this involves anxiety and depression. It is massive to tell someone that yeah. a moisturizer or a skincare product will alleviate their depression. This is something like I can't alleviate my asthma with a skincare <laughs> product. This is an actual illness. So to tell people that they're somehow linked is so incredibly risky. I'm it's really super, baffled. It's super risky. And I think especially when you're not going to give us the results or the product for another year, maybe, because all you're doing in that year is putting out this assumption or this inference that any woman with a mental health issue can potentially solve it on their own or not just solve it because maybe they're not arguing they can solve issues, but help alleviate it on their own with skincare and with beauty. And that in itself is a very troubling line. And it was also Whitney's wording in her Instagram story. She didn't say can help or might help. She said alleviate. Yes. just And it was very interesting that her Instagram wording was very different to the the Marie Claire wording, which was Marie Claire said that they are launching a skincare line in order to help emotional issues. So they went very careful with it. Whitney just went blatant with it. We will alleviate depression, anxiety and stress. So we will probably pick this back up when it it comes out. But I think for now, for any brand that wants to make money off mental health or feminism, it is important that, like we said, they do it the right way. Yeah, exactly. And for anyone who does have anxiety who wants to read a really beautiful post about it, the New York Times earlier this year published a story by Carmen Mercado called The Anxiety That Binds. And it's about her relationship with her wife and how they both have anxiety and how they found each other 
as a life raft, I guess. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful story. And we'll put that in the show notes for anyone who and does. And put it in the Facebook group too when the show drops. Yeah, absolutely. How much money do you need? Really, how much money do you need? How much money do does do any of these like huge influencers who are worth millions or billions sometimes, how much more, why are they still promoting appetite suppressant lollipops to young girls? And it's not a fight against obesity. They have young already slim girls and their adverts for flat tummy company money is built on the blood and tears of young women who believe in them who follow them who look up to them like the big sister they never had it's just it's so upsetting it feels like such a betrayal against women and i will not be a part of it i and i will not stop calling it out when i see it You've likely seen her name and face all over your newsfeed lately. Jamila Jamil, a British radio presenter, actress, DJ and model, a multifaceted job description if I've ever heard one, is the antidote to the toxic commentary we read about women's bodies. In a world full of diet suppressant lollipops, skinny teas and transformation Tuesdays, Jamila seeks to share something different. In calling out bullshit beauty standards, she unwittingly began a movement called I Way, a call to arms to see women beyond the flesh on their bones. Zara, why do you think Jamila's ascendancy has been welcomed with such open arms? I think she herself has addressed this pretty well. Um, She recently did an interview with the BBC podcast, Ways to Change the World, which I imagine a lot of people saw in their newsfeed. There was a great video going around of her. And for anyone who listened, I would very much recommend that that interview as well. But she thinks that her ascendancy has been welcomed now because she's only being listened to now because she's famous enough. And she doesn't say it in those exact words, but she said, I've been saying the same thing my entire career. It's just gotten to the point now where I have a big enough platform where people are starting to listen. Also, I think she has this really no bullshit kind of filter. Um, And there's no sort of... Uh, vagueness in what she's saying she's very strong in her points and it's very clear in what her idea is and I think that's very refreshing it is very refreshing not to see to see a woman feel like they don't have to filter themselves or feel like they have to reduce their points for them to be more palatable to the public I really enjoy that I also really enjoy that she's Pakistani born and she's a woman of color who's sharing this message what is interesting about this, and I really find this a fascinating topic, and I'm sure you do as well, Zara, is the discussion of can a model mm. who is in a beautiful, aesthetically and objectively beautiful body, can they be a voice on body positivity? And we might disagree on this. What do you think? No, I don't think we will disagree on this. I think they absolutely can. I think, to be honest, anyone can be uh, a voice in body positivity as long as um, they're also self-aware about that. I think self-awareness is very important that if you are size six, size eight, you are uh, averagely aesthetically beautiful. And when I say averagely, I mean, you know, what we consider to be generally quite beautiful, that you are self-aware in, in sharing this message and saying, I know it might be a little harder to hear or stomach coming from someone like me, but that doesn't mean I can't share it. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that is increasingly a distinction, which she spoke about this week in an interview. I can't remember what magazine it was for, unfortunately. But the difference between body positivity and body neutrality, yeah, I think that's so important. I think women like Jamila Jamil can absolutely come out and discuss unfair beauty standards. And I love it when models do that and when, when beautiful women do that, because why shouldn't they be able to do that? Every woman should be able to call out the unfair pressure that we have on ourselves to look and eat and exercise a very particular way. I think 
she really talks to body neutrality in a perfect way and that why do we focus so much on women's bodies? It doesn't matter. You don't have to love your body. I think that's also a problematic statement in itself. Why does your body really matter? Like it it doesn't doesn't matter that much. As long as you're being healthy and you are living your life to the absolute fullest and you're giving yourself the ability to uh, be successful and be driven and be fueled with the right things and to give yourself the best life possible with your habits. I think that's important not to smoke, drink in moderation, yeah. all those things we've spoken about before. Your body should not be the crux of your life. No. Your body is not the most important thing about you at all. It's not even on the top 10 things. I've always felt very far removed and disenchanted with the body positivity uh, movement, not because I don't think it's brilliant, but because always growing up, I've never thought about my body and the body positivity movement um, kind of made me think about it for the first time. And I think I was probably living a much healthier life when I wasn't even thinking about my body. I was going about my own business. And I never found that I was ever really going to love my body because there were parts of it that I didn't particularly love but I didn't hate either yeah and I could never imagine a world where I would look at my arms and be like oh they're so beautiful like they're just my arms like they are what they are and I can't really change them that much yeah and it's that distinction between how they look and what they do it's like why do I have to love my arms because they do something like I appreciate what they do for me they help me pick up things and eat it's like my cupboard like I like what the cupboard does it holds my (laughs) it's all my clothes but I'm not going to go over the top about it um I did want to take it back to when we're talking about models and models you know that do push the body positivity narrative because I think when it's someone like Jamila Jamil I mean this is a woman of color and I think how many layers do we want a woman to have there are, it's so it's so usually uh, a white model giving this message and so we finally got a woman of color who by the way isn't doesn't make much money off modeling in fact she's a tv presenter she's only done a few yeah, spreads for modeling not, yeah exactly but also there's a sense of pragmatism that needs to come into this conversation Of course, I would love an equal platform for every single woman to be able to have this conversation. But unfortunately, that's not the way the world works. It's probably going to be the more beautiful women whose voices we're going to listen to more. So why not let them push a message that's important? Yeah. And I'm sick of holding every feminist to this standard where they can never be good enough. Like when no one's perfect, no one's going to be the perfect feminist. If if we want to take that line of thought, it's like, well, anyone who comes out as a feminist needs to be critiqued on when they wear makeup. It's like, if you're such a feminist, why do you feel the need to wear makeup or why do you wear heels or why do you wear tight clothing? It's just, you take it to this level where everyone, nobody can win ever. And I feel like Jamila Jamil does such an awesome job. And yet some people on Twitter slam her. If you look, I was Googling her name last night yeah. and looking on Twitter for what people are saying about Jamila Jamil. And so many people are so critical about things that she said in the past or things that she posts on Instagram that potentially aren't the most feminist things ever. And it all relates back to the podcast, which we both really enjoy called The Guilty Feminist, which is with Deborah Francis White. And that discusses that exact point that once you call yourself a feminist, it's like everyone holds you to this standard. And if you ever fall from that, you're the worst feminist ever. And how dare you do that for women? Not every act you do in life has to be a feminist act. I agree, which takes me to my next point that I wanted to discuss with you. I don't know in your Google Google rabbit hole, you found a post that she wrote. In fact, I think she's taken it down since, but there are quotes around about Beyonce. Yes, I was about to say, this is Beyonce post. So when about five years ago, uh, Jamila Jamil wrote a blog post about Beyonce and she took issue with how Beyonce chooses or chose to express her sexuality on her then self-titled album. This is a quote from the piece. 
What stimulates you, Beyonce? What do you like to see? What do you think women will find arousing to watch while they listen to your songs? What turns you on, Beyonce? Because so far, it's only your underboob I am marvelling at. It's your buttocks spread apart by a pole. It's you air humping a piano for a man who is sitting in a chair silently watching you. Now, she got slammed and probably still does, is pretty heavily criticised for her feminism now because she seemed uh, a little slut shamey. I think that's a correct word. And I think people are struggling with her feminism and how it's evolved because they can't get this idea out of her head that she struggled with women who express their sexuality. I think she she was quite critical of Miley Cyrus back in the day too. How do you feel about that? I think it's tricky because I also agree. I can see where she came <laughs> You're from. You're hanging back from the microphone so much and you so didn't want to answer this. <laughs> I can see where she's coming from with that original story because I don't think sexualized empowerment is completely unproblematic. I think if we're always speaking of women being empowered empowered as women being sexual objects, mm. that is an incredibly murky territory to venture into. It's not my personal brand of feminism. However, I'm not about to write an opinion piece about it and use the kind of wording that she yeah. did in that story. I think it was quite unfair to Beyonce. If Beyonce wants to do that, she can go and do that. However, I don't want feminism to be reduced to women taking their clothes off gyrating on poles and that being empowerment because it's not empowerment if we really think about it every woman's entitled to do that and it's her choice to do that it's not feminism to be wearing nothing and grinding on a pole but as i said before Beyonce doesn't have to be a feminist in everything that she does. I don't think Beyonce really comes out and has... Beyonce doesn't say anything ever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. She doesn't. I get the sense that potentially it says more about Jamila Jamil and what she feels comfortable with and how she sees sexuality than it does Beyonce. I think I agree with that. And I, there is another sense. And I think she's definitely toned down that, that brand of feminism in the last five years. And if we can't let people evolve, then what kind of world are we? But... I she even a couple of her quotes in that interview with on the BBC recently about the Kardashians also pricked a few ears I think it's a wolf in sheep's clothing she said just because you look like a woman we trust you and think you're on our side but you're selling us self-consciousness a lot of women feel uncomfortable with Jamila because she seems to blame other women for misogyny and I think that we can blame other women for for perpetuating the patriarchal ideal as much as we can blame men um in In an interview with The Guardian, which I also wanted to talk to you about with Hadley Freeman, Hadley Freeman raised all of the things that we've been talking about, but I couldn't get a sense if it was whose side she was on. And I mean, maybe that's a good journalist. And she probably asked the same questions that we would ask, which was, how can you be a model and spread this message? Um, Do you help girls being aesthetically beautiful and pushing a body positivity? Um, She also asked... Uh, raised this idea that Jamila Jamil's manager is the same manager who managed Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari. How did you feel about it? Well, first of all, I think Jamila Jamil is entitled to whatever representation she wants. I don't want to tell women that if you feel like the best manager out there who will promote you the best and reach new career heights for you, just because he represents other men, 
that do things that you don't agree with. Why should you have to be the one to walk away from exactly. that? That's not fair to push no. that back on Jamila. Do you think then, because I couldn't work out in this piece, I don't think it was necessarily pushed back on her, but it was definitely raised. Do you think it was fair that it was in writing in that profile? No, not really, because I don't think that's a reflection of her. Why yeah. is she responsible for who her manager decides to represent? I thought it was a very interesting inclusion from someone like Hadley Freeman. Just for context, I think, for those who haven't read Hadley Freeman stuff, I would recommend a reading it. But for someone who writes beautifully about women and the female experience, it did seem curious. It was kind of like a tiny bit of unconscious bias there that we would feel the need to include that fact as if it's her own fault that she's sort of betraying the crux of her ideals by having representation of the same person that I think, I don't even think that manages with CK anymore. No. And what's more important that someone like Jamila Jamil, who is empowering and funny and witty and outspoken, what's more important that she's given a platform and has the best representation possible and yeah. uses that voice or that she suddenly takes some weird personal feminist decision to say, oh, well, if you're going to represent Aziz Ansari, who we should add, did nothing criminal. He hasn't been, he, he didn't, uh, it was a grey area and it was definitely a discussion on consent. Yeah, I know, but it's still, like, by definition criminal if there's but consent not, issues. But it's not her job. No, to, I agree. To, she's not a lawyer. She's not in the legal realm. She's not the police. She's not an enforcement official. She doesn't have to decide whether Aziz Ansari yeah. is guilty or if he's a feminist or if he hates women. That's not up to her. She needs to focus on her own career. And if that's by being with this manager, let her do it. I'd way prefer for her to have the voice that she has now and the platform that she has now sticking with the managers that she has instead of feeling like she is responsible for who else he whoever else he represents it's pretty absurd i have to agree and also the idea that we always have to ask her the question about whether she has the right to have this conversation given what she looks like and how she is I, it just proves to me time and time again that we can never have a perfect feminist hero that will always find flaws. And it is, it's bizarre to me in that, of course, nobody's going to have the perfect voice, but shouldn't we celebrate all the nuances of their voices? Yeah, exactly. And it's not Jamila Jamil's fault that she was born beautiful. That is not her <laughs> fault. And if she wants to be an ally Imagine to women... Imagine if she just said that. Like, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, I actually really enjoy it when influencers and models and celebrities come out and say that all bodies are beautiful and promote that message and promote that you don't always have to have perfect hair and this is what I look like on a typical day and this is what I look like waking waking up out of bed this morning. Those things are helpful. I don't think we should be shouting those women down and saying, you can't have a voice here. Everyone can have a voice here. And, And the more we encourage these women to speak out and to speak about unfair beauty standards, the better. I agree. Hey, I think that's all we have time for today. I think it is. Before we go, we would like to share something a little bit different with you all today. Our wonderful friend and beauty writer, Brittany Stewart, has launched her own independent podcast called Beauty Island. It might seem funny that we want to promote a podcast, but as two people who have done this ourselves, it is bloody hard going out on your own and doing your own thing. And so as two women in the same industry, we thought it was really important that you guys can hear as many good podcasts as you can from as many good female journalists as we can. So we we think you will love Brit's podcast. Brit will be interviewing big names in the industry every single week and we think you'll really enjoy what's discussed. We'll pop in a snippet here for you to check it out. This snippet is uh, an interview with beauty influencer, YouTube and Studio 10 regular Domenica Colaco to talk about drama in the beauty industry. I mean, sometimes I go to these events and I'll be real, like, I don't want to be there, you know? I can, sometimes I just feel like, oh, God, I don't belong here. Or there's just, people are just so fake, you know? Like, 
there's just so many people that I can see are putting on a show and I'm just really not like that like I'm just could not care less like nothing makes me happier than being at home on a Friday night with my cat and my boyfriend like honestly it's not just about beauty though it's about well, it's about everything that we discuss on here as well. What it's Beauty like standards, to... standards, the industry. Yeah, social media. It dropped yesterday. It's called Beauty Island. We would love for you to go check it out and give it a little review. And yeah, we would love to hear your thoughts on that one too. After you've checked out Beauty Island or even before, if you could leave us a five-star review for our little show, we'd really, really appreciate it. We can't tell you how much those reviews and subscribes all help us out. And I think that's it. I think it is too. As always, you can find us in our Facebook group. We will post some of the links that we spoke about today in the Facebook group, Shameless Celebrity Gossip. We'll be on Instagram and we'll be in your ears next week for episode 31. Thanks, guys. Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.